0: and welcome to the Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 88th episode in a weekly series called Mr. Smith. Here with me is Drew Smith, game designer at Bungie. Welcome, Drew.
1: Uh, and just to be clear, I'm actually not a game designer.
0: <laughs> what is your official title at Bungie? I'm a producer. Your producer, okay. It's the yeah. same the same as 2K, Yes.
1: Uh, a little different. I produce different things now, but, uh, similar.
0: Okay. That's one of the questions I have to ask you, so we'll get to that. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, last week's episode was a discussion with Keisha Howard, founder of Sugar Gamers. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, November 12th, and we're going to talk about Drew, game design, various companies, and some news. So <laughs> let's start with news of the week. As a background for some of our listeners, in July, uh, Gabe Newell from Valve had some interesting things to say about Windows 8, and he called it catastrophic. Uh, Basically saying that Valve has been driven to embrace Linux based on the inherent problems in Windows 8. He feels that there will be some no longer top-tier PC. uh, Creators will want to put their games on the market if they have to run on Windows 8, and that uh, he feels like the store for Windows 8 is a concern to him, saying that it's very closed and controlling and the openness of the platform is basically his problem. Uh, And then, this week, just coming out, is Ubuntu. The first wave of beta testers can use it. And uh, this is going to work for Linux and open up the market for those who use that and give other people an option. It has 24 Linux games. uh, Team Fortress 2, Serious Sam 3, Portal, Left 4 Dead, the whole shebang. So, my question, Drew, I guess, is... Do you have any opinions on Windows 8? I just got it myself and haven't really used it very often. And do you think that there is an issue where developers are going to go away from that platform and try to look for other things based on, I guess, the store the store options for Windows 8?
1: Well, I, I would say, um, let's see, I've not used Windows 8, and I don't have it myself. <laughs> so my exposure okay. to it is pretty limited. Uh, you know, what I would say... I mean from my perspective, and of course this doesn 't represent uh, Bungie or anyone else, but just me as a person out there um, I think that the real question is uh, I mean I think gamers gamers will go wherever they can get good games, but more than that I, I think it's, a, it's ubiquity of platform so what's what 's going to matter in terms of Windows or anything else is how ubiquitous that platform is the reason. We use consoles because they're easy, you know, someone, you buy a console, you have it in your house, and then you can buy games that are formatted to that, the specifications of that console. Mm -hmm. And for uh, an operating system like Linux to really catch on, in in my opinion, gaming or otherwise, uh, it has to be easy for the end user. And right now, and I, now, to be very clear, I, I have not used Linux, so I can't, State whether it is or not, um, but I do think that there's probably for the average person uh, you know Windows is probably the preferred preferred platform because everyone knows that every PC you buy you know most people don 't build their own pcs they 're not installing their own hardware and they 're not making at least i don't think this is you know again this is my opinion uh, conscious choices about their operating system, mm-hmm. so there would have to be a major shift in PC manufacturers or, or, you know, distributors uh, carrying Linux-based. That was that was on the second point. I didn't comment on Windows 8. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I see.
1: Yeah. Not not intentionally. I mean, Windows 8, I always, uh, uh, you know, I have Windows 7. I like Windows 7 a lot. And, I mean, I, I don't have any real impetus to move to Windows 8. Mm-hmm. So, if Windows 7 is not broken, why switch? You know, I used XP for a long time, probably until... Until seven, right? Because Vista was after seven, XP. Yeah. yeah.
0: Everyone avoids Vista.
1: Yeah. Right. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Valve is known for sort of future thinking, and yeah. I guess the sense that they're moving to Linux frightens me, because you know I never had plans to to go all Red Hat or anything, and it's good to have, I guess, more. Marketability and and kind of pick up that entire dedicated user base, but I don't know that I can ever see Windows just disappearing and uh, and Steam moving completely in that direction. I hope.
1: I, I'm well. I mean, I again, you know, I, of course, I don't don't work at Valve, but uh, I would say that they're super pragmatic and smart about what they do. So, in future thinking, you know, they they're not only thinking about. Uh, in my and like at least, I would, at least if i was there the way i would view it is i would not only be thinking about yeah you know, where things are today and where but where things are going but they're not it would be pretty you know crazy for for uh steam to suddenly you know leave the pc realm and just go to uh to linux i mean who knows but i i, I would see that they'd be leaving a large consumer base behind and you know their number one focus is the consumer so um, that's that 's obviously super important to them yes <laughs> now, and, and to be clear, it should be to everyone who 's making games. I mean valve is doing more than making games they they have their service based organization mm-hmm. uh, and you know Gabe Newell said that i don 't know two thousand and seven, maybe around the orange box, something about uh games as a service um, but you know regardless of what you 're doing, you should always be focused on the consumer uh, so if there 's a market uh, in linux i think they'll they 'll move toward it, and if they Create a market in Linux. That's something else. But for me, you know, until until the the average person can get their hands on Linux, and that means someone who can walk into you know a big box retailer like Walmart or something like that and buy a computer that comes pre-installed, quote unquote, with Linux, and everyone understands how to use it, <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to say that like that change is coming.
0: Yes, I've had a small experience with Linux, and it's not. Everyone loves it because of the stability, but it's not inherently intuitive in any way uh, when you're used to pictures in front of you. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, I, and, and, you know, like a, a good example of this and, you know, where I think the, there's a really smart move is like onto the Apple platform because Apple, uh, and I, I don't have, I have, uh, you know, I have an iPhone, I have a, um, I have a, uh, a iPad, but I don't have a Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone that uses those, and I mean, this is kind of cliche, but everyone says that the user interface is much better than Windows. So if you find an easier way for people to interact with the system, then you're going to naturally most likely draw more people there. I mean, there's some other marketing and things like that, you know, you'd be uh, up against heavy competitors to do that, but... Agreed. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well. I think it should be said, and I will say this now, that obviously everything you say here is not a reflection of the company you work for or have worked yeah, for in the yeah. past, <laughs> and I'm just, you know, asking you as a person, so I don't want you to feel that as uh, a human being. How do I? As a human being, you know, with experiences that may touch on these. You know, right. What is your what is your opinion, you know, about that? So, let's start with the first beginning questions. Uh, as a child, did you play video games, and what got you interested in them in the first place?
1: No, you know, actually, I never played games until about two years ago. I'm not
0: kidding. <laughs> it could happen. Uh,
1: no, I, I, I've always been a huge gamer. My family, um, games are always important to my family, and, and not in the video game sense, but uh, my dad played a lot of poker for a long time, and he still does, but um, oh. a lot of poker. We, uh, My parents, or my dad's from the Midwest, even though I'm from New Jersey, um, and the family plays a lot of Euchre, which is a game that primarily focused in the Midwest and then also in like into a little bit of uh, Canada.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so we just constantly played games. like We were always playing games. And then board games, of course, as a kid, you know you played Candyland or Shoots and Ladders and then just Hotels or Solar Quest or Monopoly or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I started playing video games during the Atari 2600. I had one of those. Actually, no, I'm lying. I started playing video games... Uh, with the Texas Instruments, whatever the hell their <laughs> their console was back in the day, I don't even remember what it was called. Um,
0: <laughs> I only remember the Speak and Spell. I can't help you out there.
1: <laughs> I, the Speak and Spell, yeah, that was also it was also there. Um, but yeah, like uh, I would play games all through then, and I kept playing them, you know, throughout my childhood and formidable years. I lost m- tons of time, you know, <laughs> playing different <laughs> games. I mean, I remember. Uh, a few kind of landmark experiences but they, like yeah it was I've, I've been playing games my whole life
0: cool that's good in
1: fact and i can even throw it out there like uh when i was nine years old i think i was nine i might have been ten uh i wrote two letters i wrote one to nintendo and one to lego asking for a job
0: at nine what, what yeah. was your qualification that you wanted to be hired like what was your position you were looking for
1: I, I don't think I had thought that far ahead. <laughs> just
0: like, <laughs> let me play just it. Says, and look, me. You
1: just, if you bring me in there, I will do stuff. I will do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I promise stuff will happen if I get to come on.
0: <laughs> you know, do they have they have those letters? Because that's something you frame forever.
1: I don't know. I, I I was thinking about that, too, not too long ago. Uh, when I had to write my introduction to Bungie, like, I had to think about that. I was like, oh, man. I'm like, I wonder if I still have those letters. Uh, <laughs> so I may. They probably are somewhere. Because I'm also like like a massive hoarder. Oh. It's really disgusting. It bothers me. I've, I've started to like deal with this issue, but, uh,
0: well, you're like, moving, right? Cause that could be a serious issue if you have like things from when you were nine.
1: Uh, well, no, I don't, I don't, that stuff's at my parents' house. So luckily I can hoard in multiple locations mm. safely. Uh, but <laughs> that said, there's a lot of crap in my house right now that I'm like looking at. I'm like, why do I keep this stuff? <laughs> like, <laughs> I have I have uh, No More Heroes 2 Toilet Paper from PAX 2010 or whatever it was. Just because I thought it was amazing that they stocked all the stalls with toilet paper. And I was like, I will take one of those home.
0: <laughs> well, and it just happens to be
1: sitting in front of me. So I can see it.
0: <laughs> that will be worth something someday.
1: Yeah, right. That's Maybe that's the hope. I don't know what it is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so tell me how you got the marketing manager position and, and what that involved.
1: Um, well, you know... Uh, are you talking specifically at Bungie? Uh,
0: well, I guess in my sort of research, it looked like you worked for... Take Two. Yeah, Take Two, which is kind of 2K yeah. and Rockstar together, isn't it? Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I can explain that. And that's kind of what I actually thought you were asking. But Yes. Um, so, in 2006, I mean, I'd spent five years on and off uh, working at an electronics boutique uh, in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd kind of was dabbling in games. And then I spent some time trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I uh, wanted to work in finance for a little bit. Um, and I ended up having this call with this, this guy, and he's like, you know, if you're, gonna, if you're interested in this job, which was in finance, he's like, you should really go either get some kind of advanced degree or work in a field you love. And then, I don't know, something dawned on me. I'm like, why am I not working in video games? So I worked, it was 2005, uh, around September, when that happened. And I started, you know, LinkedIn was relatively new. Mm -hmm. So I started on LinkedIn. I just started contacting people. I didn't ask for a job ever. Um, I just sent messages and said, hey, look, you know, you want to talk. And I talked to people at, uh, let's see, I don't remember, Microsoft and, you know, Vivendi and Activision and, um, I don't know, uh, well, eventually, uh, 2K, actually. Um, And... You know, 2K was the only, 2K and Atari were the only local companies because they were both in New York. Okay. Um, so with 2K, 2K was brand new because it just started in 2005. So I sent them an email um, and I basically said, look, I was, at that time I was working like a temp job. I'd been working with my father because he had started a, uh, a business mm-hmm. and I worked with him for a while and then I left that and started working um, a temp job, and while I was there I was trying to, this is when I was looking for a job in finance, you know, it was just a means to an end. And uh, I was going to school in the city at night. You know, I had already graduated, but this was like uh, just continuing ed stuff, in preparation for going to grad school. And anyway, I contacted uh, this uh, woman from 2K and she, and I said, look, I'll I'll come in one day a week and intern for free. I'm like, I don't care what you have me do. I'm like, I just want some experience. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously at that time, uh, I was calling TIG2 constantly. Well, like once a week, because you <laughs> can't badger HR people, especially recruiters, because they get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails uh, or resumes on a you know, regular basis. So any additional uh, badgering on phone or anywhere else can end up killing you. <laughs> uh, and, let me, and let me actually step back for a second, because I want to explain the structure of TIG2.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't understand, like the Rockstar 2K, how that all works in a TIG2 and, yeah. and all
1: so, basically, Take-Two is the parent company. Like, Take-Two owns the labels Rockstar and 2K. Okay. So, Take-Two is the company that's traded on the stock market. And 2K and Rockstar are the, the two labels underneath. I mean, and then 2K has its own sub-labels, which is like 2K Sports, 2K Games, 2K Play. Uh, and then Rockstar is just Rockstar. Okay. Um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, I had set this... Uh, email over, and I'd been in little contact with this woman, and then uh, I called the recruiter, and finally one day the recruiter answered. Just, I don't know why. I don't know if he recognized my number. He saw it from somewhere else. I, d- I don't know what happened. All I know is that he answered his phone, and I talked to him, and I had no idea what I said to him, and actually, uh, when I spoke with you when, when I was in New York, I was actually at dinner with him, so it's kind of funny. He doesn't Uh-oh. work there anymore. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, I, I expressed interest in it. In, in working there, and then I got an email back from the woman I'd been talking to at Two K a few minutes later, and she's like, "Hey, I see you've reached out to HR. That's great." And I was like, "Oh, awesome!" I'm like, "I don't know what's going on right now, but this is really cool." <laughs> uh, don't
0: ask. And, don't ask.
1: Yeah, I was like, I don't, "I don't need to know what's going on behind the scenes," <laughs> um, but yeah, it just it just kind of like it came together, and I got invited in for an interview for a, a job in channel marketing uh, at Take Two, and I'll explain what channel marketing is in a second. Um, but I got invited in for an interview, uh, in I think it was, I think it was November, and then I got asked for a, and that was during the holidays, so it got really busy and hectic, and you know people are on vacation, blah blah blah, and I think I went for my second interview on the second of January.
0: <laughs> Man, and, you're good with dates. I can't remember yeah. like what date I did are anything you last. Week?
1: Asking, uh, when games launched, it can get scary. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, uh, yeah, I went in like the uh, January second, and then you know uh, drove through a snowstorm or partial snowstorm the roads were messy uh and got in and went to my second interview uh had it was it was crazy it was just like a surreal experience because you know I'd been in like these regular corporate environments before that and then I got to video games and it was just completely different (laughs) it was very relaxed and like very crazy and you know people are swearing all over the place and I was just like wow (laughs) (laughs) and that was it like it just got lucky I think, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I think what what attracted them to me at that time was that I had, uh, you know, spent a, a while working in retail, and, you know, I was persistent about talking to them and trying to get in and, and meet someone, and I just, you know, I, I think it was just luck involved.
0: So you got to know everyone there, and then you end up transitioning to producer. Is it, is it through the same thing? Because then you're technically 2K from then on, correct?
1: Uh, so when I started, yeah, I was at Take-Two, so... I Take-Two, you know, I worked, uh, I worked obviously with Rockstar and 2 k Like every, every title that we shipped from 2006 to basically the beginning of 2010. So basically all of 2006 to through the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, mm-hmm. I, I was involved in. And then some after because obviously I left. But titles, you know, I, I'd been involved with before then had shipped. Um, when I transitioned over, uh, I was kind of, you know, interested in... And when I got into games originally, I wanted to get into the development side. And, you know, someone from, uh, from 2K had uh, reached out and said, hey, look, uh, I w- want to, you know, I'm interested in offering you a job over here as a producer and I know you're interested in it. And, you know, it came up and I took it.
0: So what does a producer do? How would you define that?
1: <laughs> it's, uh, it depends on which kind of producer you are. Uh, and I'll explain that. So producers are responsible for scheduling um, ah, so development. that's why you're
0: good at dates.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't, if that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's why. Maybe. Maybe that's it. Uh, let's let's go with that. I like that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, for me, uh, what happened was... Uh, well, sorry. Sorry. Uh, for a producer, basically, you have publishing side producers, and the publishing side producer will manage uh, basically the finaling of a project. And what that means is they handle a lot of coordination with marketing. Uh, they work... With the ESRB, they work with legal to make sure everything's approved in the game. Um, You know, they'll manage uh, submission of all the SKUs, localization. Uh, Localization is basically just, if you don't know, uh, putting it into uh, different languages. Because every time you make a game, you have to record all the dialogue. And, you know, uh, E-Figs, which is English, you know, French, Italian, German, Spanish.
0: Right, right. So you're just coordinating um, the timing of all of that and how
1: making sure stuff's getting done, making sure that you're also reviewing, and this is specifically how uh, I did it when I was in publishing, um, and I, I being a department, you know, not just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we You're responsible for reviewing milestones, so milestones get submitted, you know, on some regular cadence, and it's, it's a scheduled cadence, I'm not saying it's random, you know, it's either every six weeks or every three months or every, you know, two months, or it can be any one of those periods, but it's steady. So it would be like, OK, you have a project, and it's every six weeks. And on a milestone, you know, there's a, some deliverables that the developer, whoever you're working with, has agreed to deliver, and you review that stuff, you make sure everything's been delivered, and then you know you can negotiate things if, if things come up. On the development side, uh, it's a little different. The development side, and this again, there's, there's a little bit of difference here depending on where you work. So some producers and some studios actually do game design. Uh, some don't.
0: The smaller, you would assume, maybe smaller game studios, that would kind of be a little more jack-of-all-trades.
1: Not necessarily. Like, I've heard, uh, and I, I mean, logically, that would make sense. Uh, and that's probably true in smaller studios. But uh, outside of that, and from what I hear, and I have not worked there, so you know I'm speaking from just what I've heard, that uh, EA, uh, EA people, the producers, actually game design as well. Huh. Um, so that just to, that kind of... You know, is a uh, debuff to the whole like thought that it's small studios, right? It's like, oh my gosh, like that's yeah, a... EA,
0: yeah, not what I would have picked as small studio.
1: Um, but yeah, so so anyway, uh, on the development side, you're it depends on which level producer you are, um, but the uh, essential job of a producer is to manage the schedule of the project internally uh, and more specifically with teams. So if you're working with uh, with whatever team you are, so let's say. For example, you're working with the uh, level art team. And level art just means, you know, uh, the people that are building the assets, mm-hmm. not even assets, placing the assets and creating the world you're walking around in. Because you can have modeling, building assets. So you'd be in charge of level art. Now let you build out a schedule for level art. You're like, okay, we have 15 levels to do. How long is it going to take us to do these levels? You get estimates from the level artists themselves and from the leads. And then you work out a schedule to say it will take us eight months to do this work. And then, you know, we need more time for polish, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's, I don't want to get too... Yes. Graphic.
0: Well, so is there a producer then for each aspect of the game? Like there's multiple producers on one game or is it just one overall producer who's controlling all the aspects?
1: It's, so that's what I meant by level. So there's usually, there's, uh, and again, this just depends on the company a little bit, but it's, it's usually this format. There's usually uh, production assistants or assistant producers, it's the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of the lowest tier producer. Uh, and they're usually managing like, maybe some play tests or like some low-level things. They're helping with coordinating meetings and and things like that, you know, kind of getting things running in the studio. Um, And then you have associate producers, and associate producers are usually in charge of a team. And again, by the way, this varies depending on where you are. Uh, Associate producers might be in charge of one team or two teams, depending on where they are, maybe even three. Uh, so they 're managing like you know the FX team and they 're managing the level art team and they 're managing the level design team that wouldn 't happen because that 'd probably be way too much work, but for you now illustration purposes we 'll see and then you get to a producer and a producer may have just a larger bit of responsibility and kind of be back a little bit and then senior producers uh, or executive producers you know there could be a few like two senior producers on a project that are managing it, responsible for all of like tech and engineering and uh, anything like that, or someone's responsible for art and level design, and just design overall and systems, and um, and all this stuff may not make sense to you. So if it doesn't, please.
0: Well, let's free. just go to you. Like, uh, let's say your first game. What was your first game? And then give me like your experience as a producer. What you had to do for that game, like as an example of what a producer would do.
1: Sure. So uh, the first game. That I worked on, I was in publishing, and I worked on, you work on, can work on multiple games simultaneously in publishing. Um, usually there's one big game that you're working on, and sometimes it's only one, but you can be working on more than one. So I worked on, a, I worked on the Bioshock, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Bioshock 2 DLC, because I had started after Bioshock 2 shipped. Okay. Um, I worked on Top Spin 4, and then I worked on uh, XCOM. Uh, but XCOM, I worked on both in publishing, and then I moved in and was working on it in development. Okay. Uh, so the, the the experience, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, either Bioshock or or Topspin doesn't doesn't matter which one, um, but the experience was just you know you're you're monitoring the the milestones, making sure that things are getting hit on time, uh, and then sometimes that's out of your control, but you have to you know. That's your job is to try to make sure things are coming in on time.
0: You're trying to but, avoid crunch, essentially, right? So how do you control that, uh, considering you know the, the various factors, multiple ones that would probably keep people from finishing things on time?
1: Well, in the, in the publishing side, and it's not to say you don't care about crunch of the team because that's not true. Uh, in fact, you absolutely should care about the team and, and be, you know, close with them. But you have your job is different than. The job of a producer on the team, so you're really concerned with making sure the product comes out on time, whatever it is, the game, you know, getting it done and like, and making sure it's out the door. Okay. Um, the the responsibility of crunch in that kind of world really falls in the developer themselves, and how and that does fall in production, so the producers in development, because they're managing the time of of the people in the studio. Uh, of course, you know, if they're not doing the work directly, then that can there can be problems there, right? You can obviously run into things that aren't getting done on time for one reason or another, whatever that is. But ideally, if you're if you're scheduling things out and planning things in advance, um, there's always going to be some kind of monkey wrench. But that can help you avoid something like crunch. But that's that's that rests with the development side more than anything.
0: Okay, carry you know, if on. You, Sorry, I kind of train wrecked you there. Carry on. <laughs> I derailed your thought.
1: No, it's okay. Um, but yeah, like. Uh, I mean, I, both those experiences, I mean, obviously, you know, with Marin, I worked, I worked on Bioshock 2 DLC, and then I worked with them as a team member on XCOM, and I mean, they're obviously a great studio, and then, uh, Top Spin, same thing, the, the Czech studio, uh, out in Prague was, was excellent. I mean, it's, it's good to, one of the greatest things you can get involved in in game design, game development, is getting with a team that really knows what they're doing. Mm hmm. Uh, because that just makes things easier. You know, you get a lot of really good, smart people that understand and want to make something awesome, you know, that's that's good. It's, a, it's always inspiring, so.
0: I would think you would have to have really good relationships with a multitude of people, you know, d- doing that because you're all coordinating and you kind of want to maintain a good sort of vibe, I would think, rather than being like dictatorial about it necessarily.
1: Absolutely, and look. I, I mean, I think that I, I make mistakes there sometimes. I mean, I, I'm probably everyone does, but I, I certainly will say that I do sometimes. You get too dictatorial, and yeah, you. Sh- it's it's really about. It's not about dictating things. It's about problem solving, and that's the most interesting thing about production and about any job, really. If you have an interesting job, usually there's there's problem solving involved, or I don't. Maybe just they're interesting for me. <laughs> I don't
0: know. You must not mind that uh, the time crunch factor, though. I mean, that's that's something that it's high anxiety sort of job where you you know have a lot of things and you have deadlines and uh, a lot writing on it a lot financially writing on it and things need to get done and uh, i would think that would be very anxiety ridden i
1: i mean yeah there's no doubt you, it's a it's a job like anything else and I, but i think that the way you mitigate against that and the way that I've, I've learned to mitigate against that in any job, because the same thing even working in marketing, when I was working in marketing, you know, you have a lot of things that come in last minute and they have to get done and you have to figure out how to do them. And that that can be crazy stressful from time to time. You have to always take a step back and kind of examine the situation, you know, from the, the bird's eye view for a minute and say, okay, you know, nothing's crazy here. What, what can I handle right now? What can be done? If there's stuff to delegate out and you have people that are helping you, and you know, what can be delegated? What can this person help me with? Or if you need help, just can you go talk to someone else? And then start solving the problem. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in anxiety and like, like the, the tenseness of a moment, but it's always good to step away from that and say, hey, this is not a big deal.
0: How invested do you feel in a certain game, like, let's say, Bioshock 2's DLC, and it finally successfully ships, and, uh, you know, there's that relief of seeing it go out and be a successful game, and everyone really loves it, you know, how, do you, how does that feel, what, what kind of investment do you feel in that game, or is it more like, hey, I did my job, and now I'm going on to move on to the next one?
1: I think that, that always depends uh, for the person and how passionate you are about the project. Um, I think that, and, and, and not only the project, and the team, and, and, you know, you... You want? I don't. I don't think there's anyone out there, or I can't imagine there's anyone out there that is not super excited when a game ships. Because whenever you ship a game, you know that you've been working on in any aspect, it's 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 a you know kind of kind of a vindication. Well, it's a vindication, I guess. You know, when it sells well, but it's it's there's a relief, a sense of relief, like hey, you know, we did this, and you spend so much time, uh, you know, quote unquote, in the trenches or whatever the the analogy you want to use. Uh, worried about all the, the minutia and all the details and, you know, really concerned about how you can help make this great. So then when something's done and you get to look at the final product and you can just think back and you're like, wow, this is excellent. That's a, that's a super exciting thing.
0: Nice. What was the atmosphere like at 2K? Um, I guess because you kind of started there and you've moved on to different places since then, like... You said it was casual and there's kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> swearing in t shirts and stuff like that. But as a size compared to, I guess, other um, co- companies that make games, is this a hugely large company or is it like more of a smaller What kind of, I guess, kind of feel does it have?
1: Um, let's see. Well, you know, Take Two, 2K, and Rockstar are a little different. Uh, they all have their own, you know, personality or personalities. Uh, I think that. You know, Take Two is is certainly the the business arm, mm,
0: okay. and
1: you know that's when I say that that does not imply that it's you know very formal and buttoned up. It's not. Uh, I'm not in terms of the way they're processing things, but in actual terms of like people wearing like business suits or something like that. Like that doesn't happen. So uh, I think that uh, um, they they're not, it's not a huge company they're, because. Rockstar and 2K, you know, kind of function a little independently and Take-Two's, you know, 2K's in the West Coast, Take-Two's in New York, Rockstar's in New York. Uh, they're all, they all feel relatively small. You know, I don't know, I think, I think the total company, and, and I'm sure you can find it online, it's like 2,200 people and that's all of Take-Two, all of Rockstar, all of 2K, all the studios all over the world. Okay. Um, in terms of like comparison to like an EA or an Activision, it's pretty small. You know, it's it's, but I think in terms of actual like game company size, it's probably a medium-sized company.
0: So you're interacting face to face with the people that you are producing, and you're not just necessarily calling them on the phone and saying like, "Hey, did you do this?" Or you're actually going over there and looking at the stuff they're doing, and you're getting to see the creation of it. Or you just kind of, um, basically just scheduling them through the phones and things like that.
1: Well, again, it depends on what your role is. So as, when working as a publishing side produ- uh, producer. Uh, in that case, your developer may not be in the same building, and in fact, usually they're not. The only exception to that would be Two K Marin, and for for Two K, this is uh, because Two K Marin is in the same building as Two K's headquarters. Um, if you're working on the team, so like so, actually, to step back, so uh, for like Topspin, yeah, I I did not work. They were in check, and I was here, so I had to fly, you know, out and uh, and and see them if I wanted to. I could see the game, of course, because I get builds, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, to actually, see like the development live. You know, they have to be there. Um, Is that an
0: asset? Because then you get to travel and, and see something neat.
1: I mean, yeah. There, there's well, uh, yeah. There's a benefit to it. I mean, yeah. Prague's beautiful. I mean, if anyone wants to send you to Prague, you just say yes. <laughs> right. You don't question that. You're like, yes, I will do that.
0: <laughs> oh, I guess.
1: But uh, you know, it's it's not. Um, I don't. I don't think of it as a, uh, any kind of of asset or liability. It's just part of your job. Like you, you're, you're working on that level and you, you do it. Um, but I like traveling. So for me, it's pretty easy. Uh, but in, in development, you're in the team, like you're, you're part of the team. So you're not living separately. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a circumstance where that happens, uh, for the most part. So, you're, you're there, so you see the development as it's happening. I mean, you are you might be playtesting, you know, you could be doing all kinds of things at any given time, and, and seeing exactly what's happening, you know, interacting with everyone in the studio. And again, it depends a little bit on how the studio is organized, but yeah. What you're, do you
0: end up doing most?
1: Uh, scheduling. Like, I, I spend a lot of my time, I mean, now, like, you know, my job is really to, to create schedules. Uh, and uh, my current job, so when I was at I was working as a producer and I had a, a, a couple different teams that I managed primarily one and then it in, in, increased but it was right before I left so um, at Bungie uh, I'm in charge of uh, kind of producing the marketing team which is not something that's ever really been done um, well it's not hasn't been done there I mean it may have been done other places I actually hadn't heard of it before it's, it's actually really exciting because I get to go in and get to a place that's not doesn't have production it doesn't traditionally have production and then say okay you know how can I help schedule you guys <laughs> like how can I how can I schedule something that I understand pretty well because you know I did it for a while mm-hmm. but on top of that I also uh, I also work with the narrative team so I have a development side position as well okay. and that's more of the standard what I've done
0: well, Two K has done a huge list of amazing games like XCOM, Bioshock Infinite, all these things coming up. Borderlands Two, Duke Nukem Forever, all of that stuff. Um, when you left Two K and ended up working for Bungie, that's a whole other set of, I would think, like um, pressure because it's it's a Halo. You know, that's a that's a really well amazing, you know, series that is well-known and probably the maybe the best-selling series out there. Um, what has it been like, the transition, I guess, from 2K to Bungie, and have you had to relocate? And um, is that something that happens a lot? Like, it seems like in the gaming industry, people move around quite frequently. And, um, you know, why would you say that is? That's a lot of questions, but you know where I'm going. <laughs>
1: hmm, I'll try to take those at one at a time. Uh, it's the transition, um, you know, from, from 2K... To Bungie is is basically uh, yeah I certainly I mean Bungie's uh, in I, I I don't think I'm stretching here you know one of the top developers in the world like of video games and and for me probably you know the top um, they they have revolutionized games and I should say we now although I wasn't there at the time uh, multiple times you know a lot of the things that happen in everyday gaming that we just are so used to. You know they—they're really responsible for that team. is is amazing. has put together a lot of stuff. Uh, so is there pressure? Yeah, I think it, there's pressure because you walk in there and you're like, you're like, God damn, I got to be really smart to <laughs> 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 keep up here. I'm like, I really have to be on my toes all the time. But I like that. That's exciting. Uh, that pressure because it it pushes you to really want to you know be your best. Um, I think the difference is. Uh, Between like a Bungie and, and, you know, where I was working before at 2K uh, is, you know, Bungie's I mean, Bungie's a private company, so that's different, whereas 2K is public, you know, Take-Two is a public company, so it's publicly traded. Mm -hmm. Um, They,
0: uh... Why would you say that's different, just like, obviously financial investment, but...
1: Yeah, financially there are different goals. Like when you have a, a publicly traded company, you have shareholders and you have to, you're working, everyone's working for profit, so don't let me make it sound like you know there's pro bono work going on Other, you know, <laughs> but um uh when you're public you know there's quarterly earnings and wall street's paying very close attention so you have to be very mindful of that you need to be very mindful of the messaging you're sending out same thing with a private company it's just there's a little bit you know that that's not transparent like and i the it doesn't it doesn't hold you're not held to specifically quarterly goals i guess in the same way okay. where you have Ported out, then I have to have you know the uh, investors. You know, you, if you're a public company, investors can change; they can they can cause changes within the, the company because they own the company. Hmm. Here, you know, uh, the company's owned by you know employees, so that's a that's a different different scenario.
0: I see. That makes sense.
1: I don't know if I answered all your questions. I don't think I did. I oh. think I only answered.
0: <laughs> Uh, let's see. That's that's fine. i will trying to remember what I asked. There was like four of them I threw in there.
1: <laughs> what I, I'll throw something else out. So what I really love about uh, Bungie, like immediately, you know, I've only been there for a few weeks, uh, but I immediately felt at home. Like I immediately felt great, like working there. I was like, man, this is a really, a really great place. Um, you know, they really are very focused, and this is not – there's no disparagement here toward 2K because that's, that's not what I'm getting at. But just speaking about Bungie specifically, they're really, really concerned with quality. You know, I said before, they spent a lot of time, uh, you know, with Halo and even before Halo, uh, revolutionizing games. Mm-hmm. And that, that doesn't come from, you know, chance, I don't think. Like, that comes from some serious, like, thought and mindful kind of, you know... Uh, Interpretations of what to do in gameplay and how to make things better. So you know, if you go back and there's a there's a great documentary online that I'd recommend everybody watch. That was uh, made for Bungie Day last year. Uh, every year Bungie uh, we have a thing called Bungie Day where it's just a day where the whole studio celebrates kind of together. It's on mm-hmm. you know in July every year. Um, but there's always a talk at Bungie Day from from uh, some of the key people there and. Uh, Last year, I, I think it's last year because it was the 20th anniversary, uh, there's a video put out called Oh Brave New World. And you can look in there and, and you know, Bungie... So I don't even know if you knew this because I didn't even realize it when I first watched it. I knew some of it. I didn't know all of it. Uh, with Marathon, Bungie created Mouse Look. Like, no other shooter had done Mouse Look before. So, you know, oh. Doom, games like that, which are great games, you know, were all fixed camera. Whereas they're like, hey, you know it would be great if you could add verticality to the game
0: (laughs) that just seems so basic uh, but it's been a while
1: like someone had to do that and that happened and no uh with halo um halo 1 specifically i mean not not to yeah well say halo 1 i mean that was that was a completely revolutionary game I, i remember and i you may as well like playing that game like crazy but that was the proof that a pc shooter a traditional kind of pc shooter even though it was originally a mac game uh could exist on console and be good and you're just like, wow, this is a really good game. Uh, but it didn't stop there, uh, because they, you know, with that game, they also created the idea of having grenades on one button and gun on the other. Mm-hmm. Something else that seems really basic now, but that didn't exist before then. Okay. Um, so one of the other uh, great things, uh, and there's, there's a, there was an article uh, in Wired magazine uh, about user testing for Halo 3. Uh, and this is one of the great ways that you know we've managed to collect user feedback. So there's always the, the forums where people are saying things, but nothing, nothing tells you more than putting someone down in front of a game, letting them play it, and then seeing what their reactions are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have a very, uh, probably the best system, I would say, maybe in the world, uh, to test users now. And when I say test users, I mean to put people in a room, like I said, have them play the game, and then monitor all, like, how they're reacting to things, what they like, what they don't like. That really tells you uh, what people want more than take, anything.
0: Do you take, like, a general, like, okay, 5 out of you know 20 people did this, or 15 out of... Because people always have, like, you know, somewhat different reactions on things. Do you just take, like, a majority reaction to actually choose to modify something based on that?
1: Um. Yeah, what you do is it's all statistic based. Like you'll you'll look at it and you'll say like, man, you know, this everyone's having like is this is an easy way and everyone does user, user testing. So you know, I think every company is out there. We just I just think we do it better. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's bad. Maybe I'm I'm just out on a limb. <laughs> I just think we we do a really good job of it. That's for certain. Um, but you can tell right away. Like you know, you have a gun. You can whatever gun you want. We'll just we'll be generic and we'll say the shotgun. And you notice that people keep using the shotgun and uh, they keep getting killed. And then you, you realize that, oh, well, this is, people are getting frustrated with this. Why? Well, you know, the shotgun's numbers aren't tweaked quite right and it's not doing enough damage, A, it could be that. It could be, you know, that the, the range isn't quite right, uh, that maybe some other gun is more powerful, but that's probably not the case if, if it's just with the shotgun. You there's something wrong with that gun, so then you can continue to watch it and then you can make tweaks and then you can test those tweaks and say, oh, that's it, the shotgun was too weak or, hey, you know what, the range was too short, now it's a much more balanced weapon. And getting that kind of feedback is is really good. Uh, but also, you know, se- separately from that, if everyone comes in and they say, the shotgun sucks, <laughs> 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 this is the worst gun I've ever used in my life, you'll see that. Like, you'll see that this is not not good design or something's wrong with the design, and then either A, you'll fix it, or B, you'll you'll take it out and, you know, in favor of something else.
0: So what do you think makes the bungee, you know, testing experience so far superior to the other stuff?
1: Well, I mean, again, I would, I would highly recommend that, that everyone take the time, I said before, to, read, to watch a uh, Brave New World, uh, which is on YouTube. But you can also uh, read this article that I was referring to in Wired Magazine um, about testing. And it's just very, very detailed. We pay a lot of attention to a lot of things. And it really helps us uh, collect tons of data and understand you know, what our players like. And you, they, you can't ask for more than that. You know, if you can get, if you can get that information, you're you're in good shape when you're making a game. I mean, that can really help you in, inform decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and it can also, it also it can help to. And I'm, this is not a, a Bungie specific thing. In fact, I didn't even know about this here. But it can also help to if you have a really strong like personality that's like really disagreeing with something, uh, getting that feedback and say, hey, look, you know. This is, uh, this is what people are saying. <laughs> this is where people that aren't familiar with this game and coming in and playing it say. Again, that's not based on a specific case, but it's just something I, I can see happening some, you know, anywhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. If you have a large enough demographic, and I assume you're videoing this, because so people seem to be really annoyed when you ask them to write down like, survey yep. answers.
1: You video and you get immediate, immediate reactions. Like you know exactly how people are reacting, what buttons they're pressing, what they're doing, um, and that, that really gives you the best data. Like, to really understand, like, what's good and what's not about, uh, you know, any game. And then, and then moving on to, uh, like, the infrastructure, really, for uh, Xbox Live. And I don't know how, you know, I, don't, I wasn't there, obviously, during Halo 2. Uh, I don't know how detailed that is or how much, but I know that basically matchmaking was all built on Bungie's architecture. Like, they're the ones who put together matchmaking, you know, and no one is doing that before then or no one was doing it successfully. So, I mean, it's really like a forward-thinking company uh, in, you know, how can we make really cool stuff and bring that out? And one of the other things I really love, I mean, there's a lot of great benefits there, but uh, one of the other things I really love about it is uh, they're highly, like the company is highly involved in charity and doing things for kids and, you know, really giving back to the community. And that's just awesome, like it. I mean, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. You know, we're often involved with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Child's a table Play. in the office. Yeah, Child's Play. I don't know if we do anything with Child's Play. We may. Um, uh, but there's a table at the front of the office with a bunch of posters and like swag and all these things that people sign, because you know you're giving it out to fans. Uh, I'm sure you know about BungieNet, which is obviously. You know, we're very involved with community. It's uh, community is very important. We've hired people from community before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that stuff's really cool because you're really like, it's it's like a unified like you know we're a company that cares and we want to talk to our fans and we want to really be involved. We don't just want to make good games like we you know we. We care about more than just, just that. That that's certainly one of the most important things. But like it's like, hey, there's there's a lot of stuff that's really really cool going on there. So yeah.
0: <laughs> I love the inspiration that it's sorta of given. I, I had an interview a couple weeks ago with Rooster Teeth with Red versus Blue, with Matt Hellum and Catherine Zolik, And it's just really cool when people take like a game and, you know, make basically a movie out of it or you have like a whole collaboration between other people kind of spin offs to, to things that are like inspirational in that way. That's- and- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. Um, my question st- is for you. If you want to comment on that, you can. But my okay. question is, because of Halo 1, 2, 3, um, what changed in the contract for Halo 4, and how did that end up not being something that Bungie produced?
1: Uh, well, you know, Bungie is... Ind- we're independent now. So, you know, Microsoft bought Bungie in 2000. Okay. Uh, and we bought ourselves back in ah, 2000. Okay. Uh, but part of the deal is, you know, Microsoft is Halo's game, or Halo, Microsoft is Halo's game. Halo is Microsoft's <laughs> game, that's what I'm trying to say. So uh, you know, we don't own Halo. So we, uh, you know, we did ODST and then we did Reach and that was our last Halo game. So Microsoft now owns Halo, so that's now being done by obviously just launched Halo 4 uh, with 343. So you know, they have their own internal studio that's that's doing it and yeah.
0: So do you feel like there's pressure there at, like, Bungie? Because now they've they've had this franchise where they've created, you know, now they have kind of, like, to follow it with something amazing.
1: I, I, absolutely. I don't think there's anyone, everyone, at the, uh, you know, that I've met at the company, and again, I'm relatively new, but uh, everyone cares deeply about what we're doing. And, yeah, there's, there's certainly pressure. If you create something that's, you know, truly game-changing, uh, that's... Those are big shoes to fill, you know. But when you know moving forward, do we, we want to fill those shoes? Maybe even break out of the shoes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't yes. know. But you know,
0: Hulk style.
1: Yeah, just, right. We want to Hulk out of the shoes. That's right. But but no, you absolutely. There's absolutely pressure. I mean, I, but everyone puts that. It's it's how you use that pressure, and it's taking it, putting it to good use, and thinking about what you can do that can be amazing.
0: What's the general feeling about Halo Four? Um, you know, because it's obviously kind of the first of the baby. To, to be created by somebody else, and I know there's probably a lot of attachment to the series. Do you think, like, people are, are receiving it well and saying it's well done? I haven't had a chance to play, so I can't say.
1: Uh, I haven't played it either, so actually I can't say. Um, but yeah, I think that everyone generally is going to be positive about it. It's, it's great. It's great to see that, you know, it's, it's passing a torch in a way. So that's, it's awesome, and it's awesome that they could take it and, you know, make something uh, successful out of it.
0: Cool. I wanted to ask you, we, we were speaking earlier about the concept of, you know, obviously making profit off of games. And one of the questions I'm struggling with lately, and I have an interview coming up where I have to discuss this question, is sort of the balance between fans having input into a game's design and and feeling as though they have some sort of investment in it um, and a company keeping the promises that they give to those fans, but at the same time understanding that, you know, a designer designers the many designers uh, should have sort of the right to create what they want without you know feeling the pressure of the majority dictating like how something comes out uh, because the mob rule kind of terrifies me (laughs) right (laughs) what's your opinion on that yes (laughs) Yes.
1: sorry maybe too maybe too political for this show (laughs) I'm not I'm not stepping one way or the other in the political aisle I'm just saying look at mob (laughs) rule. Kind of crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What is your opinion on that as somebody who's sort of neutral in the sense that you're just trying to get a game out and you're not, you know, necessarily like worried about the profitability of it. You're just trying to get it out on time and you kind of see the inspiration of of what the people that are trying to do that feel. And you're sort of in, in the middle. Like, how do you feel if you had to give an opinion? You know, what is the responsibility of, you know, a game designer or a company that makes games? To the the people that it's making the games for and can it maintain its integrity while doing that
1: well a couple uh, couple things so one is uh, I everyone's concerned about the profitability uh, we all think about that and not and not in a shallow, you know, greedy way. That's not it. But you know, we want to continue to make games, and I think that's this goes for probably every developer out there. It should is you want to continue to make games. So you've got to think about that. You know, you can't spend endlessly. You need to say, okay, well, we got to figure out how we're going to make money back. You know, how are we going to do that? It's going to be a great game. Okay, that's that's good. You know, what are the what are the buttons? What do people like? Listening to feedback. Um, yeah. I, well, certainly you know, that the community is important. I mean, you want to hear what the community has to say and, and take that stuff into account. Uh, you know, I, as I understand it, and I've i, I not gone independently corroborated this information, uh, <laughs> but I would, you know, uh, I think Bungie's hired people from the community. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true. In fact, I, I'm almost downright positive it is. Uh, you know, if people have good ideas... You know they can always be thought of. Now that said, you can't legally you can't just take people's ideas off the internet. Um, there are ways to interact and like and talk to people and have forums. Uh, the second thing is is that one thing you kind of learn uh, in gaming. Uh, and this is not to be disparaging uh, or discouraging. Better not disparaging, but discouraging to anyone. Is uh, everyone thinks they're amazing game designers. Like, <laughs> everyone thinks that they are going to be the best game designer ever. The fact is, it's a lot harder than it sounds, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and a lot of ideas that come out may sound great, but actually aren't. So it's the ability to sift through and and really understand, you know, what's best for the game. Like, what's going to, and really, what's best for the game. And this goes back to kind of the Valve thing I said before: is really what's best for the end user. Like, what are they going to enjoy? And the end user in in any case could be, the, could be the people of the studio as well uh, you know our, our motto or one of our mottos is you know we make games we want to play like mm-hmm. that's it we're not, we're not making games that we're not interested in we're making games that people can get behind in the studio and be really excited about and be like man you know I, I want to play this or whatever it is and you know, certainly you can look at Halo and say that clearly there's was you know something that everyone was playing and, and they it was constantly polished each, each iteration had you know better and better polish on it and made it a better game
0: Nice. Okay. I can take that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're like, unacceptable.
0: No. <laughs> Stamp. <laughs> you are difficult to find online because there's Evan, there's Drew, there's Andrew, and there's yeah. other people that are actual, like, producers and game designers that all have similar names, and I'm always kind of trying to figure out which one you are. Now, I have to ask there is a. Drew Smith, who's giving interviews at E3 about XCOM, is this you? <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, that was me. Okay. Yeah. Is wearing a hat. I always yes. wear a hat. Yes.
0: Okay. That's
1: the, the thing I do. In fact, the goal is is that any time I give an interview, except for right now, uh, because <laughs> you can see me, I wear a hat and I wear a different hat. And man, now I have to make good on that promise. What did I do to myself?
0: I know you've just. <laughs>
1: Someone's gonna call me out one day. You're not wearing a hat. You told me to wear a hat, <laughs> or they just won't recognize me.
0: There you go. Yes, but that is me. Okay. So if I could ask some of the XCOM questions that you're covering in there and that I'm curious about as well, um, since it's kind of out now and people are very excited, um, I wondered why the 1962 as the year chosen for XCOM, and I know this is kind of a, I don't want to call it a reboot, but sort of a reiteration of the old original XCOM, which you said was one of the first games you produced, right? Or as a marketing manager.
1: Uh no it, it's a little it's a little different than that um, and I'll defer XCOM questions but but uh, okay. what, I, what I would say is uh, uh the game that's out now is not the game I was working on okay that that game was done by Firaxis. uh the game I was working on is still in production
0: oh okay
1: um the Firaxis game is the one that's out now um and you could certainly contact those guys and they'd have those they're, they're great people there and they'd have great things to say um so that's uh so yeah I. In marketing, we never—I never marketed an XCOM game because that—that uh, that didn't come on my plate until I started as a producer.
0: Okay, because I'm looking at 2K and they have an XCOM coming soon shooter, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if that relates to Enemy Unknown or how that is. But
1: yeah, so that's—that's that's the game that I was working on. Um, but you could definitely contact those guys and talk about it. They, they'd be—I'm sure they'd be happy to talk to you about it or have someone come on. Okay. There are plenty of brilliant people there with good things to say. <laughs> Not that I don't have good things to say. That's
0: not what I mean to. I know that you're him, not brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. So I had asked you, I think, earlier, and one of the questions I sort of reminded myself of is the... The amount that people move in the gaming industry, and I know it happens a lot for game designers, um, and then they kind of, I guess, just become attached to a certain game, and then ends, they move on and do something else. How does that work for producers, and do you find that there's this kind of turnover or or moving around to different companies that there is, sort of, for game designers? Um,
1: Well, I I can't speak specifically for game designers. What I can say is that, uh, I mean, I... I think that just overall, forget about games, I think the average lifespan of a person at a company in the U.S. these days is about uh, five years.
0: <laughs> Never say lifespan.
1: Yeah. That's the average, li- before someone switches jobs. Okay. I've been, at, um, I've been at, or I haven't been. I was at Take-Two for seven years. Uh, so, you know, I, longer than certainly the average. Um, Do you
0: think it's in general or in game design specifically, or in game industry specifically?
1: No, I think that people change pretty regularly. Okay, like they, people people move around. You know, sometimes after projects, sometimes during, sometimes you know, there, there can be any time. It depends on where you are. I mean, you don't have to be in development. You could be in uh, in you know part of the business side or or some other aspect of, of game development um, or or game business. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's any any specific, but I think it's pretty common. I think I think people move pretty regularly. In fact I will tell you that I know I've had several friends on both sides of the business that I've seen move to multiple companies. Uh, over periods of time while well, I've been at the same company. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. So
0: do people ever yeah. go back or they just kind of move to different ones?
1: Uh, yeah, there there are occasions when people go back. I think it depends on how someone leaves a company. You know, you should always I mean you know, every circumstance is different, but the the goal should be to, if you leave a company, to leave on good terms. You know, you're not trying to. Uh, to <laughs> it's for, a very I,
0: small industry.
1: Yeah, you you're you're going to work with people again, so you you should always be focusing on, on leaving on good terms, and and you know, and on top of that, you should, if you're working somewhere, you should be doing the best work you can anyway. And you know, people people tend to understand like the like things change in the in the world, and. Sometimes people need a change. That's not necessarily a bad thing.
0: Mm-hmm. What would you say the best thing you learned? Uh, you can pick whatever company you want to. The best thing you learned um, from whatever company you choose. Hmm.
1: Uh, you know, I had a, uh, I had a manager uh, when I first started. He was my manager more than once, but uh, at Take Two. And what I learned from him, and this applies uh, wherever you are. It doesn't matter whether you're working in development. You know, publishing business makes no difference. I learned from him how to be cognizant of employees and you know really have their interests in mind. In mind, uh, and that's that's a huge thing. Like focusing on the people that work for you and understanding how you can make them successful, set them up for it to succeed is is invaluable. And there are too many too many people out there that don't think about those kinds of things you know they they're they're focused on their own careers they're focused on other things really in my mind you know anyone that works for me at any time i want to set those people up to to be as successful as possible and give them give them the information they need you know help them learn when they need to learn help them along when they need to be helped along but also give them autonomy and give them you know some some general like tasks, things they can make their own. Mm-hmm. There's a great uh, a great TED talk um, by Dan Pink about what motivates people. And one of the big things that motivates people uh, is ownership, like the ability to own things. It's not money. In fact, they found like a, an anti-correlation between money. And I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't get paid. <laughs> <That would be laughs> kind of crazy. But I mean, uh, what motivates people to do good work is, is having ownership over it. And if if you can provide people with some mentorship and then, you know, give them projects and let them own them, you're really allowing those people to shine and become great, great, you know, uh, whatever they are, whatever their discipline is, great producers, great designers, you know, whatever that is. Excellent. And that's that's one of the most valuable things I've learned.
0: Okay. We're about to close. Is there anything else you wanted to share with the listeners?
1: Um, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing is... Uh, I. A lot of you guys out there, uh, I would guess are thinking about a career in games if you're not working in it already and you're interested in it. And if that's the case, be, be persistent, you know, be smart about it, you know, figure out what your, what your approach is, but don't, don't give up. You know, just if you have a goal, set a goal for yourself and then don't get discouraged, work toward it. Uh, but you have to work hard. The, the games industry is certainly competitive and, you know, you you don't need to shoot for the the moon right away. You know, maybe if you take a job somewhere else in games that you didn't think was the original goal, that may not be a bad thing. You know, I started in marketing. and I spent four years there, and you know, I, then I worked in, uh, as in production for three years, and you know, I know I work in production at, at Bungie, and that's really exciting. Um, so there's, there's there's good stuff out there, but don't don't expect the world day one, and you know, figure out how you can get in. There's always ways.
0: Cool. Do you have aspirations to go more in the design end? or you like what you're doing right now?
1: Um, I mean, I, I I love talking with designers, and I've been doing it for a while. Uh, I, it's it's super interesting to me to to get involved in that. Uh, I don't know that I would be a good designer. <laughs> going back to what I was saying before, <laughs> uh, but I, you know what I do know is that I've spent 25 plus years playing video games, so. I have a reasonable understanding of what makes games good and, you know, what is not good in games. Mm-hmm. And if you have that understanding, that's, that's a good beginning. And also playing a lot of stuff is a good, a good start to get into design. So yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I like, you know, kibitzing with, with designers and talking about things. Uh, I don't know that I, I have an aspiration to get into design myself.
0: You seem like you have more of a global view, which is sometimes things designers lack because so they're very detail-oriented and, and focused on, you know, the specifics of things. And yeah, that's that's pretty cool that you found something that you really love. Absolutely. Okay, a big thank you to Drew Smith. And I I cannot find you on Twitter. So if you would like people to reach you on Twitter, do you have a handle you would like them to do that with?
1: Uh, you know what? Here's here's what I can do. I'm actually gonna uh, open up a, a blog for myself very soon. I just haven't done it yet. I've been writing something internally uh, that I was sending out internal to Take Two when I was there, and uh, I stopped when I left. But we'll start very soon. Um, and once I get that up, I can let you know, and you could uh, you could certainly call it out then if you wanted to. And then I'll have a Twitter account as well. But right now, I'm, I, I live I live in the ether with nothing. <laughs> with no connection <laughs> to anything. So pretty
0: like, much I'm in the cloud.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast or Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast or on iTunes. The Gray Area Podcast is entirely funded by listener donations. This means you. So if you like the episodes so far and you like hearing about producers and game designers and developers and cool things like that, please feel free to donate to support the site and the running of the show at Genesee.com. To the right-hand side, you can choose dis- different denominations there or you can pick your own at the bottom. Also, I always welcome iTunes reviews, which is very helpful for getting the podcast out there, and other people can listen to it as well. So thank you for your support, and I appreciate any of it that you can give. I also do post my live shows at that point. If I'm going to stream, they will go on to Twitter, most likely. So if you would like to watch a live show uh, and see some of the guests and see some gameplay and hear debates, please follow at Gray Area Podcast. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to geneseegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with several new exciting episodes.
1: This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to signalsmedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really?